For our first segment, we turn to the big news of the day. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced his resignation this afternoon amid a mushrooming sexual harassment scandal. The resignation will take effect in 14 days. Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul will take his place and become New York's first female governor. Cuomo was also under investigation for his role in covering up the deaths of thousands of nursing home patients who perished at the height of the pandemic last year and for using state workers to help him write a book about his incredible leadership during the pandemic, which he received $5 million for writing. Cuomo's resignation marks a stunning fall from grace for the third-term governor, who is himself the son of a former three-term governor, Mario Cuomo. Joining us today to talk about it all is journalist Ross Barkin. He is the author of The Prince, Andrew Cuomo, The Coronavirus, and The Fall of New York, which came out in June from OR Books. Ross is also the author of the Political Currents newsletter on Substack, a must-read for understanding the latest on state and local politics. Ross, thanks for joining us on WBAI Radio. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here on this momentous day. Yes, quite a historic day, and you've chronicled uh, Cuomo's um, activities for many years. First of all, your reaction to Cuomo's resignation and why he threw in the towel at this point when many thought he would fight to the bitter end. I was surprised it came so soon and so swiftly, but it was also the move that just about any other politician would have made because he really had no choice. The, the votes were in to both impeach him and convict him in the Senate. It was different than the situation in Washington with Trump where the Republicans were always waiting to exonerate him. Cuomo really had no way out. So it was a question of would he fight it out in the legislature or would he resign? And a lot of people, myself included, wondered whether he would just fight it in the legislature and, and go down in this very bloody uh, you know, legislative war. But that's not the case. And everyone turned against him from Joe Biden on down. And in two weeks, he will not be the governor anymore. And this chapter will be closed. Right. And can you tell us, Ross, a little bit about who Kathy Hochul is, the lieutenant governor who will replace him in those two weeks? So Kathy Hochul is Hochul, a sorry. Buffalo. Oh, yeah. No worries. Is a Buffalo area uh, politician. She's been the lieutenant governor since 2015. She was a former uh, congresswoman. She's a one term congresswoman from Erie County. And she like Cuomo is very much a centrist and, and was once quite conservative in in Congress when she was Erie County clerk. Um, but like a lot of Democrats has drifted more, you know, away from the center and kind of toward the center left. And I, I think of her in a similar vein as Gillibrand, where she came from upstate and had a pretty conservative track record, but is no longer behaving that way. And so I see her as a fairly conventional Democrat who's becoming governor. And she seems to want to run for re-election next year. So that may be another big fight with a lot of ambitious Democrats jumping into the race who also uh, seek what is will be something like an open primary since Hopeful will not have been governor for all that long. And, and beyond the sexual harassment scandal that has brought down Cuomo, can you talk about why he has been uh, such a problematic, if not uh, disastrous, governor for New York uh, throughout his 10-plus years in power? 
there's a lot to sift through. If you just start with COVID, his handling of COVID was very poor, and New York City was shut down too late, and he hid nursing home deaths and tried to cut funding to public hospitals and, you know, uh, impose an austerity regime on the state, you know, for, for much of 2020. Uh, so you can, you can start right there and then work your way backwards, you know, where he's really been a triangulating centrist for basically his entire tenure. And he helped Republicans control the state Senate for almost a decade and frustrated a lot of aims of progressives. And beyond that, just from a, from a, good government and competence perspective, you know, he ran a, yeah, what, what is objectively was a corrupt administration where his closest aide, Joe Prococo, uh, went to prison for running a bribery scheme, you know, out, out of the governor's office, in essence, and Cuomo himself was not implicated, but Prococo was really his closest friend in government. And if you look at other metrics like the failures at the MTA, the wasted money there, the poor performance, um, you know, the general inefficiencies in New York, the horrific board of elections, you, you, go, you go on and on. And, and the image Cuomo cultivated was one of supreme competence, and it was anything but. And of course, if you take it from a left perspective, he certainly was an obstacle to many goals of the movement. Right. And, and just looking back a little bit on, on his track record, I mean, one moment that really jumped out to me over the years was when the subway system was collapsing in New York City in the summer of 2017. There had been a failure to repair many of the cars. The The signal system was 80 years old, and there were many problems, in the, and they were all uh, culminating. And Cuomo was like, who, me? I don't run this system. Why are you looking at me? And uh, he really seemed to be indifferent to actually – uh, administering and running the government and, and seemed to be much more uh, uh, fixated on, on the sort of the political uh, machinations of uh, holding power. He was very interested in power and maintaining control and defeating his opposition. And he was very good at that. What he wasn't good at was the real nuts and bolts of government. Like you said, the MTA was in a state of emergency and the subway system was failing quite dramatically and he pretended he had nothing to do with it, though the subway is a part of the MTA and he controls the MTA. He appoints the chair, he appoints a plurality of board members, and it functions like a state agency under his control. And he, when it was convenient to him, he would invoke his power or control over something, like when he did the ribbon cutting for the Second Avenue subway and, and oversaw its construction and made it clear this was his MTA. And then when there was failure, it was not his MTA anymore. And, and these games were played repeatedly for a decade. And it got very exhausting for a lot of people. It got exhausting for those who work in politics, for ordinary people trying to understand government. And this downfall in many ways is the culmination of all that because the sexual harassment scandal was what drove the possible impeachment and, and the calls for his resignation, but there was so much more than that. Had Cuomo only been accused of sexual harassment and otherwise had this sterling track record as governor and, and cultivated a lot of friends, you could have seen a scenario where he fought his way out of it, where he apologized and moved on. But 
there was just so much more there um, that the the political class collectively was finished with. Well, also another aspect in in Cuomo being able to hold power for so many years was the way he was treated in the media. I mean, um, I would in some ways call him a mediaocrity. I mean, uh, how did he get so far in in, in persuading, especially prestige media, uh, that he was this um, you know this bastion of of competence and strength? I do believe members of the media in general were attracted to Cuomo in the sense that he did project strength and power and gravitas and there was a feeling that even if he wasn't being successful or was mismanaging government he looked like he was successful and he was good at punishing his enemies and power is seductive and it's true for those who work in politics and true for those who cover politics. A lot of journalists wanted access to the Cuomo administration. The only way to get real access was to write favorable stories about him or to massage your stories in such a way where others who he didn't like looked bad too. And when it came to COVID, you had a national media collectively celebrating him because Donald Trump had been such a disaster and he really benefited from this contrast with Trump. And I do believe if Trump had not been president last year, the whole myth of Cuomo, the COVID conqueror, would never have come into being. Right, Ross, and I think you made a good point about um, Cuomo sort of being able to cover up some of his leadership errors with the facade of this, you know, very open to the public, um, well-spoken person. And you even saw that today with his announcements of resignation when he acted like, you know, we heard earlier in the show him saying that he's really doing this for the state of New York. He's stepping down for, for the good of the state of New York so that the legislature doesn't have to focus on this impeachment trial and can just go on with handling COVID and everything else um, without, you know, admitting that that they would have never had to have this, uh, you know, weeks-long process if it weren't for his errors in the first place. But um, agree with you there. And speaking of his sort of functioning as, as a very powerful person, that wasn't just a vacuum. Can you talk about all the accomplices he had along the way? Um, and afterwards, could you describe something he cooked up in 2014 called the Women's Equity Party, Equality Party? Oh, yes. So an accomplice is, you know, Cuomo had allies within government, staffers who were extremely loyal to him and, and really, in terms of the sexual harassment scandal, really helped either enable his behavior carried out apologize for it you know it starts at melissa de rosa at the top she just resigned she was the secretary to the governor which is the second highest ranked position in the state of new york and she at every turn was Cuomo's enabler and was also like him um a very mean person behind the scenes and really kicked a lot of fights and attacked a lot of people and really made few friends in government you had his senior advisors, communications director, which as a party also could be quite nasty and in the press. Alfonso David is former counsel who helped find the, the private personnel file for Lindsay Boylan, one of the women who accused Cuomo of sexual harassment and tried to get that disseminated through the media through Rich as a party. 
Larry Schwartz, who headed up the vaccine distribution efforts, despite having no background in public health or science or anything really pertaining to the task at hand. And, you know, the, these were the people in his orbit. And beyond that, he didn't really have friends in politics and government. He had people who were afraid of him or people who were, were allied with him out of convenience, like labor unions, like special interest groups, like those who really wanted something out of state government or were afraid something get taken away from them. And when Cuomo lost power, uh, when this report came out, people started to turn on him. A lot of these special interests turned on him, too, because he was no longer someone who could inspire fear. He was no longer uh, someone who could take something from them. And then in terms of the Women's Equality Party, that was a sham third party created by Cuomo in 2014, specifically to siphon votes away from the Working Families Party, WEP versus WFP. Um, and the party never functioned like a political party. It went defunct four years later, and it was clearly aimed at undercutting the Working Families Party, which has been a critic from the left for most of his tenure. Right, and um, uh, I have some more questions here, but I, I think the wind might be hitting your microphone a little bit, Ross. Um, I don't know yeah. very far, but... Uh, we're hearing a little bit of it. Um, so what new possibilities are opening up for New York state government uh, now that Cuomo will no longer be around? You described him in your most recent um, newsletter as the son that all other bodies in uh, Albany orbited around. Well, now that that son is departing, what are the prospects for a much better state government going forward? And who might be looking to replace him? Well, the prospects are a more conventional governor, a legislature that has a lot more power that will be emboldened to really push for the change it wants to see. There will be a lot of Democrats, I think, vying for the governorship next year. Kathy Hochul will be the incumbent, but she will be new to power and she's probably not going to be able to clear the field. So you'll have a number of Democrats, you might have Tish James, the Attorney General, you might have Tom Denapoli, the State Controller, Jumani Williams, the New York City Public Advocate, Tom Swazi, a Congressman, and others. Uh, you never know, someone from out of left field could run some billionaire or some other conventional Democrat. So you might see a real Democratic primary for governor uh, with a lot of candidates, which uh, has really not been witnessed in, in a while. And whoever that is, you know, that will be our next governor. What structural changes need to be made so that we don't see them, you know, having the ability to have these same oligarchical forces um, congeal around them, this power vacuum? Yeah, you'll, you'll need campaign finance reform, you know, real reforms cut down on how much money individual donors can give to a gubernatorial candidate. He'll need to see perhaps constitutional changes so the governor has less power in the budget process. And that, that's something Cuomo always dominated in part. That was because of how the constitution is written. You'll need a legislature that's assertive. And for now you will see that because the next governor will be weaker and you have a lot of younger progressive state legislators who really are not afraid of power and really want to make change. So in, in the short term, 
you're going to see a very different all of me. We'll see what happens in the longer term. Hmm. And um, before we go here, uh, is there any prospect that Cuomo might try to run again? He's got about $18 million in the bank and his reelection fund. And by avoiding impeachment and conviction, he also avoids being barred from running for statewide office again. So with, with someone like Cuomo, you never say never because he's so driven and, and, and so obsessed with power and, and getting it and getting it back. I think it would probably be unlikely at this point because you will have an incumbent governor in Kathy Hochul and you'll have a lot of other Democrats who are going to be raising money and running. So maybe he thinks I'll enter a crowded split field and win. It could happen. I, I think. I mean, there's no may, ranked choice voting in, in state elections. No, there's not. Um, I think it's still going to be hard for him. And, you know, the interest groups in the state, the labor unions, the organizations that, you know, help gather votes are not going to be with him. He is politically damaged. We'll see. You never know with him. I'll, I'll say that much. You play you the role of predict uh, what he's going to do. Yeah. Play the role of a uh, martyr to left-wing cancel culture. That's, that seems to be something he thinks about a lot. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, We'll leave it there, but uh, Ross Barkin, uh, author of The Prince, Andrew Cuomo, The Coronavirus, and The Fall of New York, uh, thank you so much for joining us on this uh, historic day to talk about what it all means. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. And uh, Ross also has an excellent uh, newsletter on Substack, uh, Political Currents. Uh, uh, you can find out more about that. Uh, he's also on Twitter, at Ross Barkin, uh, uh, excellent political journalist here in New York. And uh we will be back uh, after this short break with more on the departure of Andrew Cuomo. We're going to talk uh, with a former uh, public sector uh, union leader who battled with Cuomo over many years. It means. 